Hello and welcome to the Last Looks podcast, a show where we catch up with talented hairstylists and makeup artists in the film and television industry. We'll pick their super creative brains and find out all the good stuff. Join me, your host, Jamie Lee, in finding out what's what in the hair and makeup departments around the world. Now it's time for Kit Corner, where we shine a spotlight on artists who've created products with the film and television industry in mind. Products designed by artists for artists. Hi, Alicia. Hi, how are you? Hey, good, thank you. So you are a professional makeup artist and you have developed a planner called the Freelancer Makeup Artist Edition. Now, can you tell me exactly what that is and why you created it? So the Freelancer is actually a day planner for freelance makeup artists. It specifically was made for having a place to keep all of your appointments, all of your financials, like expenses, overhead, what your rate should be at that specific time in your career. Um, it also has a lot of educational business material, resources, and things of that nature to sort of have like back pocket information uh, when you're on the go. It was actually made for makeup artists and hairstylists that uh, work in the freelance realm. So people that are sort of traveling job to job, maybe work on set, editorial, bridal, salon, people that are kind of everywhere and not exactly in one place every day. That's very cool. And what made you think of creating it? So the planner was created sort of out of necessity. I had been using a ton of different planners and notebooks and sort of cobbled together like a business ledger in a notebook. I was using like a digital platform to do things like to-do lists and reminders for phone calls. And it was all getting a lot to carry a big kit every day, plus all of these books in my backpack. So I wanted to kind of make a tool that I could share with everyone else that makes my life easier every day and have it all in one bound tool. And I ran it by a couple of other makeup artists and I showed them like sort of what my idea was. And everybody else that I know that works in, in the freelance realm was super interested it just sort of grew from there. And who do you feel would benefit from the freelancer planner? All of the educational portions, I would say definitely would be great for a student level artist or somebody who's in their first couple of years of the industry, mostly because it focuses completely on business aspects of the business. It's not something that I come across frequently when I'm mentoring younger makeup artists. That's usually the one thing that they are lacking in is basic like business math or business acumen. So all of that business knowledge and all the resources provided will kind of help you elevate all of your um, basic business acumen from business math, figuring out your overhead to, you know, laying out your bills and figuring out how much you need to be charging to actually make enough to be profitable at the end of the year. It's also good for seasoned artists because it'll help you hone in a lot of those financial aspects of things as well. So Mm -hmm. if you're wanting to elevate yourself financially and learn how to save better. Or, uh, you know, if you need to go back over things like set etiquette, if you don't necessarily work on a film set all of the time, maybe you're working mostly bridal, but you take a commercial. So all of those things might even be great refreshers for vetted artists. So I would say it's basically the gamut for everybody that works in the freelance realm that does makeup and hair. What other resources does the freelancer offer to the hair and makeup community? So on the website, themakeupartistplanner.com, there's a drop-down resource tab where you can find a full calendar of all online education that I've come across. So these are classes anywhere from like hair coloring to hair styling to basic beauty techniques, bridal classes, business acumen classes. There's been some really great drag makeup classes that have popped up. So I've created sort of a calendar on the website for you to kind of go in and figure out which classes you want to take on what day. Uh, There's link through to registrations for all of those classes. When the pandemic hit, I had also added a tab for COVID resources. So nonprofit organizations that were offering funding for small businesses and specifically freelancers to basically um, apply for funding. That's a lot of work for you to (laughs) to do, I would imagine. But it's so great that you keep it updated. And it's just that one stop for someone who's interested in all those subjects to kind of go to instead of scouring the internet themselves. That's so cool. Yeah. And where can people who want 
want to beautifully organize their lives, purchase the freelancer. So you can find it on themakeupartistplanner.com. And right now for Last Looks listeners, we are offering a 10% discount. It's discount code LASTLOOKS, all capital letters. Oh, that's so cool. Brilliant. Thank you, Alicia. Yeah, thank you. Today I'm speaking with Flora Moody, personal hairstylist and makeup artist for Daisy Ridley on the films The Last Jedi and Rise of the Skywalker. We chat about what it's like to be a personal, work on iconic film sets and what other exciting projects she's recently done. Pictures up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Hi, Flora. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast. Hi. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> very <You're> formal. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> so today I'd love to chat to you about your work with Daisy Ridley. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Daisy plays the character Rey mm-hmm. in the latest Star Wars saga. You were the one doing her hair and makeup for The Last Jedi and The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Let's start with how did you first become involved with the Star Wars films? Well, uh, I was the key on the last jedi so that means that i was hired by peter king who was the hair and makeup designer and i was his kind of uh, right hand person um uh, and then you've got hair and makeup artists underneath the key and then below them juniors and then trainees um, and that kind of makes up the hair and makeup team so peter gave me a call and said that he had the star wars film and asked if i'd be his key and i was obviously like yes please count me in um and it was incredible we had six months prep which is huge what uh, yeah That's unheard of. i know i know and i don't know if it'll ever happen again we had six months prep um which was a very lovely time having that much uh, time and space to create things and research yeah it was it was a an amazing job to be involved in. And then we shot for six months. So it was a year long job, which is pretty mega to be employed properly for for a whole year. So were you a Star Wars fan to start with? Obviously by the reaction of, yes, I want this job. um, I would think that you were reasonably fond of (laughs) Star Wars. Yeah. We had grown up having watched them. It wasn't like a sort of religious thing in any way. Like I wouldn't say I was a fan like uh, you know if someone said oh are you an indiana jones fan i'd be like yes in the way that i've watched them as a kid and they're kind of a childhood movie you know or the goonies Mm -hmm. it's kind of i know that the star wars were before that but um they were kind of you know very much a part of the movies that we watched as a kid and lightsabers and the noises and you know that so i guess i had a bit more knowledge than people that maybe definitely weren't fans um yeah. like when i saw when you see r2d2 on set it's like oh my god there's r2d2 <laughs> so there was definitely still an element of like oh my god i'm in the millennium falcon um but uh, <laughs> and he stopped showing off <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> this is where people are gonna be like she's a mega geek um but <laughs> I wasn't, and but it was really cool. You can't be a part of that kind of film and be not cynical, but you can't be to be to walk onto a Star Wars film set and not get a sense of wow and the history and mm. how you know it's it's an amazing film to be a part of. And if I were to walk on set and be like, I'm I was never into these films, then you know that's kind of a bit dicky you've got you know there's you've got to <laughs> yeah. you've got to appreciate that it's it's a mega thing that's happening um so yeah for me it was uh, i wasn't a fan but working on them you really appreciate how big they are um and also there are so many pinch me moments where you're like this is so cool so yeah I've, I've got a big a big love for those years that i've spent working on the films i'm very grateful for peter for bringing me along for the ride 
So you were key on the first one, mm-hmm. and then oh, the it's not the first the, of the no, three, the trilogy, the yeah. yeah. And then the following film, The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, you were on as Daisy's personal. Yes. Yeah, so after we shot Star Wars 8, Daisy got a call for Ophelia, um, which was shooting in Prague, and asked if I wanted to come along as her personal, which I said yes to. I was like, that would be amazing. So we went off and shot for about three, four months in Prague. Um, yeah, I love Prague. Oh, I love Prague. It's such yeah, a cool I think everybody oh, does. <laughs> it's such a cool city. Did you ever go yeah. to um, Bottega on Deloha Street, the amazing coffee shop and restaurant? Oh, my goodness. I know. It was so long oh. ago. It was like five years ago. So, And I don't drink coffee, ladies, so oh, maybe not. Okay, okay. It, just the best coffee <laughs> in the whole world. Oh, I, yeah, I loved it. I've got such fond memories. And the crew in Prague are just so cool like big shout out to the the crew in Prague they're so cool um anyway we went from there and then we went straight away pretty much like a couple of weeks break in between um Mm -hmm. out to Canada and shot Chaos Walking directed by Doug Lyman and which has yet to be released which is very sad yeah I believe it'll be coming out soon um and waiting patiently waiting patiently and then after that, um, I think actually after Star Wars 8, I did Darkest Hour and then did Ophelia mm-hmm. and then did um, Chaos Walking. And then after that, I worked on The King, uh, the Netflix uh, film uh, with lovely yeah, Alessandro Bertolazzi and Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. Um, and awesome. then Star Wars started, the number nine. And uh, I went on as Daisy's personal on that one, which is brilliant and a lot of fun. A lot of fun. So what, as you said before, with these pinch me moments of being on set, what were some of them that kind of stood out for you? Oh, um, <laughs> I think uh, walking on and seeing R2-D2 was pretty mm-hmm. amazing. And and the Millennium Falcon, even doing the camera tests, we had uh, – so. Camera tests happen, uh, as you know, like however soon before we start filming. And we had different mm-hmm. character and actor camera tests where for a certain role, they might get two or three actors in and do tests with them. And they even yeah. then the first bit of set that I came across was the ramp of the Millennium Falcon. Mm. Um, and all it was was uh, like a big wooden box that was slightly clad in, you know, a bit of Millennium Falcon, but the ramp came down and they had the smoke and the lights. And I remember thinking, oh my God, it's the ramp. And it didn't go anywhere. It just went up to a green screen. But um, that was cool. Um, R2-D2, uh, just, you know, C-3PO. Went on, on the last one, we were shooting, one of the last things we shot out in Jordan was... Um, when Ray returns to Tatooine um, and buries mm-hmm. the two lightsabers, and uh, yeah. it was kind of sunset, sunset or sunrise, yeah, it was t- sunset, and we were shooting. Kind of, there was Luke's family, don't you know that domey house thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the background, second unit was shooting like little snippets of. Um, this is where I show why I'm not a geek. The little, like the little with the red eyes. <laughs> You know the little. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what they're called. <laughs> what are they called? The little like <laughs> they speak. Yeah. Um. So they and were... they steal all your stuff. Exactly. Exactly. They were in the background. Like little scavengers. And I think they were dancing around a fire or something. Um. But so to be standing there on this incredible, you know, desert with mountains in the background, the sun was setting. You had crew behind you. Uh, these little things were dancing around a fire in the distance (laughs) and uh, you think this is amazing and I think at that point as well uh, a rainbow came out like out of nowhere so stop yeah everyone I'm not even joking I'll send you the picture so everyone's taking these photos and security are kind of like having a bit of a fit because people are like this is iconic um yeah and uh you can't, you know, you couldn't make this up, but you know, that was, that's really cool standing there. And we replicated that set in the back lot of Pinewood. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, again, you know, you 
you look at it from the outside and it just looks like a big cylinder of scaffolding, but you climb the scaffolding up sort of 40, 50 feet and then realize that they've made a big bowl in the middle and it's full of sand. And at the bottom of the bowl is Luke Skywalker's house, you know, with the little aerial and his, you know, where they sat at the table. And I don't know, just, I think it's, it's kind of sets. It's, it's the set, you know, in the Millennium Falcon, the table where they play the chess yeah. game. So being... That's well, so recognizable to you, yeah, isn't it? it's kind of the kind of, again, that word iconic, which got thrown around mm. so much. When you're working on the film, people are like, we want it to look iconic. And you're like, oh, what does this mean? Um, yeah, iconic's <laughs> been done so many times. Um, so, yeah, fine. That iconic, uh, the word iconic is, I think, like gives me slight shivers because it's Uh, quite a hard one to work from like do something that no one's done before and make it look unique to this project is um yeah hard a hard um one to follow yeah um absolutely so what were some of the locations that you were shooting at so you mentioned jordan and then england oh do you know where else we we, were yeah we shot in pinewood and jordan okay i know disappointing that was for both films uh the first film we shot in ireland okay uh which again was pretty mega um yeah we didn't we didn't go to all the sort of hugely exotic locations that you think you might i think the thing that's changed now is you can replicate anywhere in front of a green screen yeah so there's no need to suddenly go to a beach in hawaii when you can put a bit of beach and sand on the floor and then (laughs) chuck hawaiian yeah. in the background <laughs> it's slightly disappointing <laughs> just just pretend yeah. Yeah, yeah or you get that thing where do, at the end of a movie they're like okay the plate and aerial unit are going to be going to and they kind of reel off these amazing locations where yeah basically a group of people go off and have a field day just kind of filming yeah. establishing shots and then cut to the rest of the crew in a studio. <laughs> like I'm in the wrong department. Um, yeah. Can I just switch my messages? Yeah. I always wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Can I do aerial? <laughs> awesome. um, so when you stepped in to look after Daisy, mm. that character had already been established mm-hmm. in the first of that trilogy, right? So were there many changes that you made when you stepped into that? No, she. Uh, we literally copied what Amanda Knight and Lisa Tomlin uh, looked after. They designed mm-hmm. the first Star Wars and they looked after Daisy. Yeah. So we literally copied their design. So they did the first design of Daisy with the iconic buns, the three buns at the back. Yeah, And so we copied that and kind of two thirds of the way through through Daisy falls into a, a big cave and then those fall out and then she kind of ends up with a half up half down do for the, her final fight mm-hmm. um, in episode yeah. eight um, and when we came back to film episode nine the word on the street or the word from up above which mm-hmm. that that can that means producers that means director that mm-hmm. means America that means studio um, they're kind of these just people that are on a cloud up high who kind of tell you things and they they <laughs> said they wanted to revert to the three buns um i was a bit uh, if i'm honest i was a bit disappointed because it there was such an opportunity to create something really cool not really cool because the buns are amazing but they've been done for one and a half movies two movies so mm-hmm. why not for the third one and she you know daisy's new costume was the white instead of gray and you know she it mm. felt like that character had evolved and become you know something more than the nervous you know scavenger that she was at the beginning so um yeah i kind of uh pushed slightly just to have a few things camera tested you know just to see because mm-hmm. there's no harm in trying um and if yeah. they said yes then that's great and if they didn't then that would go back to what they were after in the first place so we camera tested i did a lot of playing around with variations of you know thinking it, it has to there's so many things to think about so silhouette is huge yeah i think that's kind of it seems what they kind of hold on to isn't it uh-huh. like the silhouette of the characters are recognizable yeah. 
Yeah, it's a strong shape. So, you know, princess mm. layers, buns, they're very yeah. strong and silhouette and iconic. And so I thought, well, if they really love the three buns, why don't we keep the the three, the trio a thing? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just played with, uh, I, I had a few wigs that I played with on wig blocks and took pictures and, um, yeah, slowly out of that after over a couple of weeks, kind of forms started coming about and we had Daisy in for tests just between her and I. So we played with different shapes and what suited her face. And, you know, if she was doing a lot more physical work, she didn't want hair flying around and, and then we tested four different looks and we kind of Daisy and I really liked one. So we did, sort of one that was really kooky that we nicknamed the Mm. teapot, which was like a big figure of eight on the back of her head with a ponytail, um, which we knew they wouldn't go for because it was just too Um, (laughs) sci-fi. And then we did uh, sort of three ponytails with added hair. So when she fought, it would flick around. And then we slowly started moving towards what we were kind of after, which um, just got more and more refined. So the three buns became balls and then figuring out how to make the hair fit around the balls. And at first it was the three balls and then she had a ponytail um, Mm -hmm. coming off the back of that. And then the more we played with it, we lost the ponytail and um, Kathy Kennedy and and, um, JJ Abrams (laughs) were – said you know the ponytail let's lose the ponytail and so we took that out and then suddenly kind of there it was it was the same same but different so keeping uh you know a nod to the first film and what made her hairstyle so replicated by kids and by cosplay people everywhere Mm. it suddenly had a similar thing that still had that really strong silhouette but was just a little bit more elegant and grown up um also another big thing that you have to keep in mind when you're doing stuff like that is that for star wars and for the those kind of films merchandising is huge so um you've got to think you know how can they create a doll out of this you know a doll with kind of a long mass of flowing brown hair isn't as instantly uh recognizable as a doll with three balls on the back of her head so yeah. Yeah. And was it all Daisy's hair or did you have some pieces that you were using to help get that shape? It was for episode eight with the buns. We had back pieces. So we had a sort of waterfall pinned into the back of her head. And then for this one, actually, Daisy's hair was long enough that um, I could use her own hair and do it. So oh, it's, that's awesome. it's, uh, it's, uh, they are donuts. So you get these hair donuts. So I unraveled the hair donuts and then sewed them Mm -hmm. back together in the shape of the balls and then they are wrapped in kind of crepe hair to give her hair something to grip onto and then they're just sort of placed underneath the hair and in the ponytails and then they're light and if she falls on them they're squashy uh, if she's doing stunts Mm -hmm. so uh, luckily we didn't have to use any extra hair which is great yeah that's awesome so were you responsible for were you taking care of the um stunt doubles as well or because i just know i know different personals you know they work differently with taking care of they only pay attention to the talent yeah a cast member yeah and might oversee stunts or just not even have anything to do with stunts or are quite heavily involved in getting the stunts ready and making sure they're all okay so yeah. how do you how did you work with that? um i would usually if i were a personal to someone i would usually love to be involved with the stunts and the doubles um as much yeah. as i can be so on Chaos Walking, I had um, three wigs, I think, and, and for Ophelia. So you, I had three wigs and I would prep one for the stunt or the double. And then yeah. someone else would apply the wig because I'd be working with Daisy or could be on a different unit. Um, when I worked with Amanda and Lisa, they were incredible. And uh, Amanda, uh, Lisa, who was um, the hair HOD, actually had already sort of started the ball rolling with the with the stunts and the doubles. Um, and so we chatted and she was like, I can suck this up for you if you'd like. And I was like, do you know what? That would be amazing. So we came to a sort of mutual agreement that if it's okay, then if she wouldn't mind looking after them, that would be great. But I'd never want to push, you know, I'd never assume 
that someone else is going to look after the stunts and doubles. Because ultimately, you want the stunts and doubles to look exactly like your character. But often, the, the stunts might be working on a second unit, so you can't get to them. Or it would mean that you would be coming in so early to look after doubles and put wigs on and then looking after your actor that your day is so long, like too long, that yeah. you would actually get yeah. uh, pulled up you know, by the, by the money man and asked if there's any other way that could be, could be worked out. Yeah, absolutely. So for the character Ray, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming Daisy didn't do all her stunts. She had the stunt doubles. No, Daisy did so many of her stunts. She, uh, yeah, Daisy did pretty much 100% of her stunts. She had, um, Again, my brain is going to go blank at this point, but she had some incredible stunt doubles, like a sort of one main stunt double on each film. Um, but mm-hmm. for the most part, Daisy did like pretty much like 98, 99% of her own stunts. That's awesome. Were you lucky enough? have a stunt double for her that had similar colored hair and everything or did you need to wig them i think katie o'donnell is was her stunt double on episode nine and she's a parkour yeah. free runner um and she had i believe she had a wig she was a wig okay but i think there was so uh she did the so the in the trailer there's the bit where they flip like Daisy does a flip over Kylo Ren's little spaceship, you know, his, uh, he's, he's flying yeah. towards her and she does a flip over. So we shot that in, uh, obviously in Jordan in Wadi Rum and Katie and Daisy were both hooked up to, uh, the wire rig. And it was just decided then that the way that Katie had to do the flip, it's actually quite dangerous, the land. And if you land it wrong, then your ankle, you know, is out. So I think, um, yeah. that was the one thing that, but Daisy did it as well because they needed elements of Daisy up in the air doing the flip. So it was very much a work together between stunts and Daisy. But, um, yeah, they, not to say that, Daisy's stunt is, you know, she does all the work and all the training, um, but That's just awesome. at the same time, Daisy is kick-ass when it comes to all the fight sequences and like her movements and her, her choreography is mega. But the stunt team themselves are so cool too. Eunice is the head of stunts. Have you ever worked with Eunice? I haven't. She's so cool. She's from Liverpool. Yeah. She's so <laughs> cool. I would do a Liverpool deal accent, but I'm not going to. it's nice that you've had that communication with heads of department to come up with a plan that everybody's comfortable with with the stunts and stuff like that because I know on one job that I did I was told by the head of department when I was a personal for somebody that the stunts weren't my concern oh and I was like um I don't quite understand where you're coming from um because currently I have uh my actor asking me what the hell is going on with that person's hair. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, uh, let me try and deal with that yeah. because I saw it too. I clocked it and was like, oh, my God. Yeah. And, you know, just a, gently kind of easing into, you know, if you want to drop the wig off at the end of the night, <laughs> I'll, I'll set it and it and then go over with whoever the person is that you have doing it. And, yeah. that, and she was like, I, someone different does it every day. And you're like, no, I was like, okay, no shit. So <laughs> and it was oh it was tricky so I was um name and shame Jamie Lee name and shame no way. <laughs> hey, stop <laughs> <laughs> just appreciate that you know just being grown-ups and not having control issues and being able to just kind of work out what's gonna be best for the job and how it's gonna end up looking oh my I think. gosh I think the yeah the thing I I really can't stand in our industry is ego I think ego is a very uncool and ugly trait yeah and so uh yeah i've i've always tried to maintain and clock along the way you know throughout being a trainee and a junior and then working your way up the ladder just really making a mental note of how you don't want to end up and um yeah seeing personals as a hair and makeup artist and stuff and thinking wow you're being so disrespectful to the designer by you know having <laughs> zero contact and I don't know, throwing them a wig and saying, oh, no, I don't have any continuity for that scene, but make it work. I just think 
you know, there, there comes, <laughs> it, there comes a, a time where there is the potential to become quite lazy in the industry if you uh, allow yourself to, and you know, to sort of not pick up responsibility that ultimately is yours. And I yeah. think we are getting, we are getting better at it. And I always kind of hope that our, you know, our generation, and it's, it's not, it's not in any way everyone, but it's just a mental note that I had that I, re- I never wanted to be that person that kind of slack or was seen yeah. to slack and get away with it because you can get away with it. I don't think that's that's cool no. at all. I find that interesting that you're saying that because I think it's it's also there's a sadness to it that I as well coming up would view behavior that other people would were doing and be like I I'm not going to do that. I yeah. don't want to do that. That's yeah. how I'm going to do it. Yeah. Cause that's not nice. It's not, you know, and it's just, it's a shame that I think I came across that more than, wow, that person's doing it amazingly. I want to be like them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, that's, that's a bummer, but thank goodness those people were there to demonstrate, you know, yeah. either ego or just being impolite or just nasty or <laughs> you're like, mm. who would be, I'm al- am I allowed to turn this around on you now? Who would yeah. be your kind of uh, figure or not role model? I don't say it, but who do you have a few people that you really look up to in the industry that you've worked with? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> are you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. End of conversation. Wow. Great chat, Jamie. Lee. Cool. Uh, <laughs> no, I was just thinking, well, I think... I always appreciated, and I was telling Peter about this the other day when I was chatting to him, mm. that um, his just openness for sharing his knowledge, yeah. which I was always so amazing. Yeah. He never kind of turned around to me and was just, you know, he never said, what are you, stupid? Do you not know how to do this? He would always share how everything was done and tell me why he did it that way. And I just found it really helpful. I mean, yeah. he just taught me so much about wigs and it was amazing. I think I, I maybe didn't appreciate it as much at the time because I hadn't come across anyone that was guarded and didn't want to share yeah. what they knew yeah. and have over time come across people who just don't want to give up. Oh. You know, they don't want to help you out. Oh, They're in- and what is that? That kind of, oh, I'm threatened <laughs> by your, like, just. I don't know what it is. So I really appreciated that with him. And also I got to the point where I saw how he always hires incredible artists and isn't threatened by them. Yeah. Um, to make the best team possible so the best no so he gets the best outcome yeah and it's I think it's 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 a good way to work yeah I mean no I agree I think that that's something I've taken away too you you're never a one-man band and it's amazing to you should never think that and yeah you are only as strong as the team that you have around you and no Mm. one should ever think that they are the best at anything like I totally have like strengths and strengths and weaknesses um and but I would get a team together or try to to kind of you know create one unit instead of like I'm not a colorist I would never put my hand up and be like sure I'll color your hair so I'd make sure that on the like on the job I'm on at the minute I got a kick-ass colorist um in San Francisco um and same when we shift over to Berlin because that's not something I can offer and to be you know to think that you can or to bullshit your way that you can I think is only I see kind of strength in honesty I think. Yeah, me too. Instead of the other way around. So many people are scared of being honest. Yeah. I think that was one of the pieces of advice I took away from um, when I went and did my makeup course all those years ago. And the tutor said to me, if anybody asks you if you can do something Mm. and you can't, you don't know how to do it or you're not, you don't feel confident with it, you need to give an honest answer Mm -hmm. because there's nothing worse than you going yeah 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 I can do it yeah. and then the result is a disaster yeah and then they turn around and go I thought you had this handled yeah yeah no, just be honest I do think though there is a time where um where to be able to 
I don't want to say to be able to bullshit, but there's a difference between uh, having the confidence to potentially try something and see it through. Yeah, absolutely. And that is something that I think is really hard to, it's like you've come to a river that's just anxiety in front of you. And you're like, do I cross the river or do I put my hand up and say, I can't do this. And I think small baby steps will yeah. more often than not get you across the river. Because if you just think, just think, laterally and work it out in your head and take baby steps and don't gung ho your way into it then you know and you can you know we're all artists at the end of the day it's shape and form and you know precision and if if you just kind of work as you work as an artist I think you know you can usually achieve a lot, especially if you're pulling in other people to help out. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, but to say no to something, I can't do it, then that's, um, that's a waste because you're not going to grow as a person. God, we're saying some really amazingly profound things. Lady, you're so deep. I can't handle it. <laughs> I'm so, I can't wait to listen to this back <laughs> and be inspired. <laughs> <laughs> I have to come out with a book. Like, the day I inspired myself. <laughs> uh, chapter one, I can't help but be inspired by myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to circle back around now. Um, and I'm going to ask, yeah. shooting over such a long period of time with Daisy and her, you kind of doing the no makeup, makeup look. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that skin care was pretty important. Mm-hmm. while shooting and doing those hours. So how did you tackle all of that to keep her skin looking? Well, luckily top? Daisy is an amazing, she has amazing skin anyway. Um, and she is, looks after herself and works out and uses incredible skincare products. And uh, she is a vegan. So, you know, there's not a great deal of toxins in there. It's not, I was in no way, you know, dealing with a person who, digs a bottle of wine every night. Um, So skincare, I think it's important to find the skincare range that works for you a bit like, you know, hair care. And once you find it, kind of keep hold of it. So we have, uh, there's an amazing shout out to uh, Joe at Skin Matters in Notting Hill. So Daisy and I Mm -hmm. are both a massive fan of Joe. She's brilliant. Um, So kind of regular facials and Joe pushes and loves using the Environ skin range, skincare range. Mm-hmm. Um, which works really well, well with Daisy's skin. And we would occasionally kind of throw in, you know, if I find, uh, I've, I love Emma Hardy, they're an amazing skincare. And, you know, I would use, so as well as what Daisy uses at home, so the regular things, I then am able to sort of, you know, use a Oskia skincare or a Barbara Stern uh, you know, SPF drops, sun drops. So, uh, you know, but then it, we might use an eye patch that doesn't quite work or it's too, there's, it's too jelly like or, uh, so it's the sort of, you p- we're playing with it the whole time just to see what is liked by the skin. Uh, yeah, I, I've got definitely got some favorites that work amazingly. And, um, I think the dewy thing is always going to help anyone's skin. You know, as soon as you lose any form of powder, I think that, especially with what we're filming, we're filming quite a realistic film. You don't want Daisy to look like she's got powder or eyeliner on her face um, because you would instantly be brought out of what you're watching. So, yeah, we we kind of had it down to a T. It's that funny thing of people are like, oh, my gosh, there's no makeup. But then you're like, here's the list (laughs) of what we put on. But it's not it's not thrown on in a caked way you just use it sparingly yeah it it always helps when day you know when your actor or your actress that you're looking after has an amazing canvas to work from then anything you add you know any addition to it is is only going to work especially if you can find the right product so i mean there is an art to doing a makeup like that isn't there how do you just deal with doing such subtle soft makeup that doesn't look like she's actually wearing anything Um, how do you tackle that I think uh not to cake it on I mean I I watch you know everyone watches these YouTube and Instagram and I am I'm amazed at how much makeup some people 
get away with wearing. And I would love to see that makeup in the flesh because I think it's mm. like um, uh, someone was talking about the Kardashian makeup. And I was like, but you never really mm-hmm. see them smile. And I'd be so interested to see one of them smile, like properly smile, like, you know, because that amount of concealer underneath the eye for most people just doesn't work because everyone creases under the eye when they smile. Um, yeah. So I would love to know what it looks like, but maybe that's the thing that there isn't that much movement there. So <laughs> well, maybe you need to do a little test on yourself, lady. I know. <laughs> I, no, like, I, and today. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think I, you know, I'm your, I'm your typical white girl. So underneath the eye is, is not, that is not, you know, Persian flawlessness. Um, mm. So, uh, but with w- working with Daisy, it's uh, just about less is more. So you can yeah. have a ton of products. We had, you know, we had a primer, SPF, um, sun drops by Terry, and then uh, foundation. But it's put it put on kind of just feathery, I guess is the word. Yeah. So it, it's not yeah. caked on. I'm not slapping it on and just used where the natural colors of the skin might like blusher, you know, put where Daisy might naturally, the character might naturally flush. So even on the nose and the forehead and the chin and the chest. So it, it's mm-hmm. kind of creating natural, you're, you're re- recreating the skin on top of someone's skin, you know, and we, we flicked freckles. So we flicked about three different colors of freckles again to break up what I'd already put on there. And we kept the shadow, the eyeliner, like really close to the, it was never, it was smudged. And so, um, yeah, just subtle, I guess, fine and subtle. Yeah. yeah. Um, she looks beautiful. I'm guessing, is that a little easier to maintain? Do you think throughout a day, especially with action and stuff like that? Again, Daisy's makeup doesn't move. Hashtag blessed. Wow. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it, uh, yeah. What were you doing all day, Flora? <laughs> Hello, crafty. Um, no, it's, it's uh, yeah, apart from, you know, a bit of, you know, concealer if needed after lunch um, or a touch more blusher, there was never a, okay, we need, we need half an hour because it is so natural and yeah. it's, there are, you know, the, I spray over the top. So Daisy always had, I mix up um, like a, a Moravica the um, Hungarian mist, facial mist. So I mix oh, yeah. that up yeah, with yeah, a little yeah. bit of rose water and a tiny bit of glycerin in there. And then I use that as a uh, spritz, like a sweat spritz. Oh, nice. I bet that smells good. Yeah. So just so I'm not going in there with a stipple sponge and glycerin on the back of my hand and it's dripping down into the eyes, yeah. this is a kind of overall glow. And then if during a fight we could get it into the hair and then that, the eye, push the hair down onto the face and um so i think that that helped too in keeping the face hydrated throughout the day and kind of locked it didn't it just didn't move but yeah daisy doesn't nothing moves off her face which is amazing now when you were doing ophelia with her Mm -hmm. that wig was a situation how was dealing with because it's pretty long right (laughs) yeah that that was uh how was that that was my baby (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it was it was amazing those wigs they were made by peter owen so where i can they're always very much in demand um especially because peter king uses them so peter owen wigs are incredible um and yeah. um yeah we had just i just asked for gosh the longest red wig auburn wig that they could possibly make and um mm-hmm. we talk about you go along and you visit uh, peter and he's in bristol and um talk through kind of pre curl so you know, do you want the hair straight? How much pre-curl do you want in it? So that's when you leave it wet and leave it overnight to dry. You know, it has a natural wave put in it. So um, yeah, those waves are beautiful. Oh, it was such a lovely wig to work from. I had three of them, and saying goodbye to them at the end of the movie was a bit weird because I actually felt I'd spent so much time with them. Like, um, yeah, you know, even at weekends, I had all three of them lined up on my kitchen table because um, I'd take them home with me and just to wash and get them mm-hmm. set instead of sitting on my own on a Friday night. Yeah, they, they were just beautiful. The hair 
hairlines were incredible. They were a bitch to uh, clean and wash. And this is where one of my favorites, yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite uh, bone comb. No one can live without a bone comb, right? Mm. So I, yeah, yeah, washing them and dressing them was um, like time consuming, but worth it. It was really lovely. And uh, again, uh, Daisy has one of those complexions that can kind of pull off any hair color. So she can be dark, mm-hmm. red, blonde. So she was redhead and Ophelia, blonde in Chaos Walking, her own natural kind of dark brown in Star Wars. So she definitely can jump around the color palette in terms of wigs and hair color. That's fun. Yeah. With that amount of length that she had with that wig, did did she take that on pretty quickly and could wrangle it herself? Like has she had hair that long in her life? No, I don't think so. But she owned it. Owned it. Yeah. And that I think I don't want to speak potentially I don't, uh, I'm going to say, I think that was one of the first wigs that Daisy had worn, like for, for a film. But again, if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. I apologize. Um, no, she was amazing. But I had said, just treat it just like your own hair, you know, just fling it around, yeah. play with it, like put it behind your ear. If it's in your face, wipe it out the way. Um, because yeah. there's nothing worse than knowing someone's in a wig and there's hair falling over their face and they're not touching it or they're touching it, but with like yeah. a flat hand trying to just yeah. push it, <laughs> push it away from their forehead. Dead I don't want to break it. <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, it's in my face. <laughs> um, and also... Uh, a trick that we had picked up obviously from do you remember uh, yeah Turiel Turiel on uh, in the yes. Hobbit so her long red mm. wig I remember and any elf with long red long hair um, the yeah. the knack of putting it in a stocking and pinning it so it didn't get all tangled we used that a lot yeah and didn't leave a mark as well exactly so. exactly um, but for the most part it it kind of it wasn't meant to look like a very pristine wig so it was um it, I could kind of let it do its thing and it would just fall into place. I think having that talk with her as well is so important to just be like, you know, once it's on your head, it's it's your hair. Like yeah. do with it what you need to. Don't yeah. be scared to, yeah. and I, <laughs> to touch and it, it, like, it, own it. It's not like it's hairsprayed into place. You know, it was very much a natural wig. And so I guess it felt very natural and that, Peter Owen wigs like that it just it fit like a glove and we'd done a fresh wig wrap on Daisy after Star Wars so so it fit her head perfectly and yeah I think as well as um if you can make it look really realistic then Mm -hmm. the actor you know whenever they go out onto set and people give them positive feedback you know um like wow that looks like your hair then that instantly makes them feel comfortable in it it's not like they're wearing a weird wig that looks so wiggy and they feel a bit self-conscious and a bit if you can kind of trick people into thinking that well everyone knew that it was a wig because she obviously doesn't have that hair but um yeah we had when we did uh, darkest hour working under ivana promorak as her key and that was mm-hmm. amazing it was such a Oh, like I spent every day being a sponge um, to her, to Ivana's kind of wig knowledge and how she works with the wigs and hair. And we would, um, everyone had a wig on or a toupee. And uh, it was amazing. By the end of the film, um, even at the very end, uh, I was speaking to the focus puller and uh, we were talking about um, Sam West, who plays in Darkest Hour. And I was like, he's mm-hmm. in a toupee. And he's like, no, he's not. And it was so lovely. And Ivana's whole thing was, you know, it's great if someone can come to set and pe- even the crew who have been talking and interacting don't clock that it's a wig. Yeah. That's when you know you've, you know, when people can look at a hairline and not see where the wig starts and finishes and, you, you yeah. know, make it believable. Then if the, if the crew believe it, then obviously it's going to look great on camera or it's sold on camera. But um, absolutely, yeah, nothing more satisfying than having crew kind of not realizing who's in a wig and who isn't. Yeah, I had yeah. that happen recently, and it was like halfway through shooting, and the, yeah. the actor was working with a bunch of young guys who, yeah, don't know anything about wigs or whatever. But all I could hear um, from, like, I'm at the monitor and on set, and 
one of them saying, what, you're wearing a wig? Yeah. You've been wearing a wig this whole time? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, oh. I didn't even know I didn't even notice but then do you do you have the flip side of it when you're like yeah yeah but if everyone could realize how much work I'm putting into this that would be great well I wondered what they thought I was doing every time I went into like adjust stuff it's just yeah. like well, did, did you think I was like, put, what did you think I was doing but it's care. amazing that you just yeah uh, even crew members you just don't really clock do you you don't clock how much work like we're equally as bad, I think, for, oh my gosh, you've been in since what time? What? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> all of, you know, all the little bits that you think, yeah, that just got thrown together. And then when you yeah, ask about the input that's gone into it, it's huge. Yeah. yeah. I think you, know, you can walk around thinking that you're the only one who's spending hours and hours doing things. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, oh no, there's an entire crew doing the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's a reason why we've all turned up with chairs we've been here longer than all of you yeah <laughs> so there was a picture the other day on facebook you know how um have you um come across the new like movie facebook page movie memories or something i don't think so oh i'll send it your way but there was a picture mm-hmm. of um um, that a makeup artist I think put up and it was her back in the day like maybe 80s and she's on set with her set bag a chair and a newspaper this is funny because <laughs> when I was coming up there was no sitting down yeah like I did not purchase a seat yeah until on the hobbit and <laughs> it wasn't even then it wasn't like a full chair and I still have never owned one of those big massive fold-out chairs with the little table that comes up oh because I'm gosh. like I just can't bring myself to do it yeah so I'm always trying to find the smaller little situations but I just I think the first it was like a stool one of those like little saddle triangle stools and it was the first yeah. time a lot of kiwis had like sat down at the monitor yeah. And we were always carrying, like it was that thing too, that it was like you didn't want to put your set bag down. Yeah. So you would have these bags on your shoulder all day yeah. and not sit down. Yeah. Not put your bag down because someone might call you and you need to rush in to do something. Yeah. And it's like I have to say I am I'm glad that that has relaxed a little. But then, I mean – I came to LA and everyone's got nice big chairs and I'm like, mm, I'm just going to sit in your chair for a little minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just going to steal this Apple box. <laughs> but I would say on The Hobbit, the reason why we could sit down is because <laughs> we, how many of us were there looking after how many dwarves? No, a lot. Yeah. Do you remember when we would all turn up? Oh my gosh. And there was like huge black screens put in the way of us and the rest of the crew. <laughs> Do you remember that? Because we would come like as hair, makeup, prosthetics, armory, costume, like it was almost double the crew again with the uh, with yeah. the dwarves. It was insane. When we first started, I think for the first, oh God, like even the first month, I was dreaming about dwarves yeah like uh, that About they were through my room <laughs> it was just because they were such a massive presence yeah. I mean when we were all clambering around like when they were getting their final bits of costume on and stuff like that and we were putting moustaches on or whatever was happening yeah they were so big because they had the fat suits and then their costume and then their like their weapons and stuff yeah. like Graham would turn around and just about hit people with his axes on the back of his yeah. you know yeah. they're just these huge huge guys and they'd normally give us a, a, not a great amount of space to get them ready on set and we'd all just be kind of like clambering <laughs> <shimmying> in between <laughs> <all> <laughs> who did you look after again um Doris or Dory. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mark Hadlock. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Who was your guy? I looked after uh, lovely Oin for the first. Uh, oh, yeah. And then moved on to Gloin. <laughs> uh, as you do. <laughs> as you do. Even the family. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think it was Oin for uh, whatever, like, I can't really, you know, when we were traveling around the place lovely John Callan and then um and then came back in January and I think for the third stint it was yeah Peter Hambledon um yeah yeah good memories oh yeah the redheads redheads unite wasn't Rachel doing his makeup yeah team Gloin 
there's also yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask what do you find to be like the pros and cons of working as a personal opposed to being a key or an HOD uh, I think I think they both come with their individual pros and cons. It's it can be really lovely just focusing on one person and putting all your energy and and your eye into one person. Uh, especially if that one person potentially isn't in the film that much, but you get paid for the whole film. That's always a bonus. Yeah. But uh, again, the con of that is that for like Daisy was in every single day on Star Wars, which is amazing and. And I wouldn't have it any other way, but you know, there were, it's, you might then have another personal who's on the same film, but who is in once a week, but yeah. you know, they're kind of financially on the same. It's, it's kind of a, yeah, pros and cons. And then if you're a designer, there's something amazing about being able to design a whole look of a film and know that yeah. kind of you've put into play all the little nuances and, you know, you put that little element into that character and that element over there and to see it all come together as one look, I think it's very satisfying. And I, I kind of, it's cool as well. Um, someone once told me that you can't control everything as a, uh, as a designer. And I think it was someone who was running crowd. And so you put out your look and you show your mood boards and, you know, what kind of thing you're looking to create. And then you can only mm-hmm. just kind of let it go and see what, because everyone's got such an individual eye that they will yeah. create something amazing too. And then it all comes back together and, you know, it's all under your bubble, your design yeah. as it were, but it's different from the idea that you put out because other people have had creative input too. I think that's really special. Yeah, that is exciting. There's been times when I've just kind of looked over at crowd and been like, oh, that's awesome. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's amazing. Yay, I'm glad that yeah. person's here today. <laughs> and then and then flip side of it is, what the fuck yeah. is that? <laughs> what just happened? Okay, uh, let's make it like this. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think, it, yeah. <laughs> pros and cons totally pros and cons and sometimes it's lovely being on set all the time if you're a personal and other times it's really nice taking a bit of a back step and kind of being on the bus and dealing with more of the creative side so mm-hmm. yeah I think it's it depends on every movie I think uh yeah every movie can be so different um but uh so far I've been lucky enough to kind of yeah test both sides of it and it's been uh, I wouldn't pick one over the other it'd be great if I could if you could just keep on doing you know both fingers crossed touch with yeah I think there's room for that yeah surely yeah yeah and what job have you just been doing because you mentioned San Francisco and Berlin so um I've been I'm working on the matrix at the minute matrix four which um oh my gosh is amazing oh it's so cool it's so cool. Well, to be honest, it was pretty well documented, all our um, exterior shooting in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, because we were out there, we did seven weeks of kind of night shoots in San Francisco on the streets, blowing stuff up and right. uh, doing exterior and kind of interior scenes. And um, oh my gosh, it's so cool. It's so cool. I, I'm, yeah, th- again, I had some serious kind of pinch me moments because the um it's the first time I've worked with Lana and their team but they're so welcoming and so it's really like a family like there's a real family vibe and everyone gets on and there are people there who are very proud of the fact that you know they have been doing films with Lana for years oh the kind of there's a real sense of camaraderie which is really cool and there's it's as well there's not a great deal of judgment it's it's very accepting it's an amazing it's amazing uh, environment to work in where not if you fuck up you won't be you know trailed through the mud i think yeah and um and again honesty is the best policy and if you put your hand up and mm-hmm. go do you know what? Uh, I've drawn a blank. Leave it with me for a little yeah. bit. I'll come back to you. Yeah. That's not yeah. like, oh, 
Okay. Yeah, I found it a, an amazing, safe environment, but also hugely creative and everyone chipping in. That's amazing. On this, it was great. Like at one point, we had just had a massive gunfight and there were all the mm. shells all over the all over the street. Um, mm -hmm. And it was the middle of the night. I think it was about three o'clock. The Ben and Jerry's van had come around. So there was ice cream at three o'clock in the morning. So it's all quite weird. People are eating ice cream, you know, a car's on fire over there, you know, a helicopter's just flown off. There's a drone still hovering. And then these, um, these guys, uh, were using these really cool cages on sticks that roll and they were rolling them over the, um, bullet shells mm. and so uh, I yeah I was helping them clear up all the bullets and I was like this is so surreal like I'm eating an ice cream it's three o'clock <laughs> I'm in San Francisco and I'm cleaning up bullet shelves and surrounded by like military Humvees and it's just so it's amazing again it's going back to that thing of, that we've been so lucky to work on like iconic like Hobbit movie and Star Wars and then Matrix it's yeah. just like oh my gosh like how do you every time I think I've peaked it, I, I kind of I find my brain kind of going whoa again and that's what's so lovely it's never dull I love it hey um I wanted to ask you you've got a little side hustle going on do you want to tell me about Flora's Fleet I uh, certainly yes I will I will pimp that yes. project please yeah I, I'm a big believer in, in trying to have fingers in all the pies um because if you rely on one job especially our our job there are times where you might not have any work for months or yeah you've just finished a job or I don't know coronavirus hits and everyone is out of work so um yeah not that this in this case it has helped but I've um I was like what do we use in the hair and makeup industry is a necessity and uh, doesn't come as part of your kit so I was like wig ovens so um yeah I've sourced um their old-fashioned 1960s clothes dryers from um, mm. all over England and had them shipped down to London and yeah Pat tested them cleaned them up and then set up a wig oven rental company so if anyone needs a wig oven Flora's Fleet is the place to go to that's awesome yeah they can just find that on social media yeah just in touch find with you. yeah social media it's just through me so it's yeah. like a little you know little number on the side that's awesome thank you thank nice. you very much <laughs> and, um, who would you like to hear on this podcast i thought about this um <laughs> and it, is it just hair and makeup it is for the time being for the time being. <laughs> <laughs> um you know i know you've done peter is this like a nominate thing so i can nominate someone i think <laughs> um i think there are so many people i'd love to hear just because i'd love to hear the chat you know and hear those people's voices again it would be amazing if you could interview Ivana. Ivana Primorak would be pretty, would be cool. Okay. It'd be, have you interviewed Rick yet? I haven't. Rick, Peter. I haven't, but he is on the list. Do not worry. Yeah. <laughs> as much as he'll probably hate me saying that, but Rick, <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> um, that would be amazing. Also, it would be really cool to kind of hear from trainees and juniors and hear what their side of things now is. Uh, yeah, I agree. And yes. Um, so working in this industry, Flora, what do you find to be the pros and cons of doing hair and makeup? Oh, my gosh. Um, I would say that for every pro, there is a flip side of the con to it. So it's definitely mm -hmm. yin and yang. Um, so the travel is amazing. The places you see are amazing. Um, locations we get to go to that are often restricted to other people. You know, uh, buildings opened up in London that usually you wouldn't be able to see and like national parks opened up and you see a completely mm. different side to the whole world. And often as well, you see it at really antisocial times. So like on Jupiter Ascending, we saw the Natural History Museum, but at night, so for the whole night, uh, but and for a week, I think we shot there. It, and it was amazing, like walking past that dinosaur in the Natural History Museum in London, and there's no one else there. That's a kind of like, wow. And the locations you travel to, like on The Hobbit, that kind of eight week, two months that we all traveled around and like flew into yeah. places in, by helicopter. And so, and also 
new people. So you're changing crew every three, four, five, six months. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, in every crew, the more you've been doing it, you see familiar faces. So it's not so alien. So it feels a bit like a family. Um, yeah, those are all huge positives. And, and every film is different. So you might be doing a sci-fi followed by a 1940s, you know, followed by a horror movie. So you're creative, you're constantly kept on the back foot and like create being creative with new things that I think is amazing and learning new things. Um, but on the flip side, there's, there's so little stability. It's definitely not an industry for people who need or require any form of stability in their life, which I think that is, uh, I think that's a big con like from Mm -hmm. everything from, you know, financially, it's very unstable. You don't know where your next paycheck's coming from. Um, you know, you don't know where you're going to be and, the travel is amazing, but you know that I don't want this to sound dicky, but living out of a hotel for two months does get really, really tedious and the homesickness and kind of missing out yeah. on friends' weddings and you know your family time and um yeah it's uh you definitely commit your life to each film, which yeah, I understand um it would be great if a little bit more perspective could be brought into it um, mm. in terms of kind of not, you know, if someone says they've got a wedding to go to, then yeah. let them go to the wedding. Um, yeah. It's not the end of the world. Not not saving lives. We're, exactly. We're not saving <laughs> lives, but I feel like that often that is, um, that might be said, but people are really scared to rock the boat because, then that brings up whole financial stability thing. You know, everyone's replaceable. So, and no one has a leg to stand on in terms of, you know, you could be there one minute, gone the next, and you don't have a kind of, you know, legal side to back you up. So I think it's, yeah, I think if you can get used to the instability of the industry, then it's incredible. Um, and it, so, yeah, pros and cons. That's awesome. But um, thank you for chatting with me, Flora. It's been great to catch up. Thank you so much. It's so good to hear from you. For links to see more of Flora's work, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or in our episode notes at www.thelastlookspodcast.com. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.